strong day one, mid-afternoon. How's it going? Or other questions? Or what's happening? Yeah. It's uh, very discouraging to uh, recognize how um, how short, how a little of the time I'm able to remember, to recognize the present moment. And uh, I've had some experiences which are a little encouraging, but for the most part, I can come back to it, but um, oftentimes it doesn't seem like it lasts very long. Yeah. So the comment is that he finds it very discouraging to (coughs) to recognize how much of the time he's unable to remember to recognize the present moment, but when he does, he can begin again or start over. And, um, yeah, so just uh, for a show of hands, anybody else had this uh, realization? (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of universal. And, um, you know, I mean, that's, that's, it's bound to happen. I mean, it doesn't need to be discouraging. Uh, I want to just add that just observing that, you know, the mind is lost in daydreams and thoughts and forgetful uh, much of the time. That's that's just the that's the observation. That's what you have observed, that's what you've seen, that's what you know. Getting discouraged about that is a layer of uh, suffering that's optional. You don't have to get discouraged about it. You can just say, well, this is the way it is. Okay, I'm here, you know, to practice, and I want to practice in order to reduce that amount as much as I can. Great, that's good. That that would be kind of a correct or a kind of a useful appraisal, just to say there's this room for improvement. But you know what? I'm I, I I'm remembering more today than yesterday, right? Because yesterday, how many times did you remember to recognize the present moment yesterday? Not so much as today. So already there's an improvement. Think of it that way. That's good. <laughs> but it, it is, you know, it, it may be, uh, rather than discouraging, you might just say, it is amazing. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? We're here with all full intention to do this good thing, which is to be awake, to be aware, and even with our full intention, uh, properly motivated, with good instruction, and we're not sick, and we're, we're healthy, and, and, well, this that we're trying to do is not under our immediate intentional control. It is because of the training of the mind. The mind has been trained to be, you know, lost in thought, consumed by desires and fantasies and, you know, ruminating and whinging and whining and moaning. And that's what we've learned. That we we learned to do this. And now we're trying to, we're, we're saying, you know, this is not particularly skillful. This is not helpful. It leads to suffering and unhappiness and 
well, frustration and disappointment, and among other things. So let's see what we can do about this. Now, we've been, you know, we've been in this habit of ruminating and worrying and, you know, planning and fantasizing for decades. All of us have been doing it for decades. And now we hear the instruction about, uh, what, uh, six hours ago? And we think, well, why isn't it happening now? I've been working at it for six hours. That's because we were working at the opposite for a few decades. So it's going to take some practice, it's going to take some continuity, it's going to take some uh, beginning again, again and again and again, to just try to remind ourselves to remember to recognize the present moment. So every time you do notice, oh, I've been lost in thought, you know, so often the judgment is, darn, bummer, gosh, I wish I could do better, rather than, yippee, I'm back, okay, you know, here I am again, ready to keep paying attention until I lose it. So, I have a lot of sympathy for, you know, this recognition that, you know, with all good intention, it's really... As simple as it is, it's not easy to do. But it's due to habit of mind, not because uh, you're a failure or can't or anything like that. It's just training. Similarly, I continued with the third one. 
it went even a little bit faster, but I realized that as I was trying to decrease uh, the time, what I was losing was the uh, that um, the ability to be relaxed while I do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that's something that I find difficult to yeah. uh, actually let go of that perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't take us not necessarily so much time, but mm. at the same time, yes, probably after years of being like that, that's the way how, how I feel relaxed. Yeah. And, and when I'm trying to do things faster, more effective, time effective, then it's hard to, to stay relaxed. Yeah. This is, uh, this is familiar. You know, uh, the, 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 our training to do things perfectly or to be a perfectionist, you know, to get a good grade, to do your job well, to do it as, you know, uh, as, as best you can is, is a conditioning. It's a training that we have, uh, learned, you know, early in our careers or schooling and uh, we get rewarded for it. We get, you know, benefits for doing things perfect. You know, if you get a hundred on all your tests, or hundred percent, then good. You know, and and and, and the, the assumption is, if you get a hundred on all your tests, everything good in life will happen to you, and you'll be happy, right? <coughs> now you're finding out that oh, this 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 training and conditioning to be a perfectionist takes a lot of time, and sometimes you have to sacrifice perfection. For quantity, so to speak, you got to get more windows done, washed in less time, so they can't be quite as perfectly clean, and so therefore you don't feel so uh, relaxed. You can't do it at a pace where you feel relaxed, and you, you know you get tense, and and you can't be as mindful. And this sounds a lot like everything in life, <laughs> doesn't it? Huh? Yeah. So what's important, and what I what I congratulate you for, or to kind of just point out, is that it's good that you notice this. It's good that you notice, oh, this tendency to perfectionism can cause a lot of suffering, can cause a lot of stress. You know, we, we, we want to, we want to, I mean, we got to do things quickly, but we want to do it perfectly, and we're caught in this bind. And, you know, each of us finds our way of saying, well, it's good enough. Or we feel kind of perpetually kind of like disappointed that we can't do it. We can't take the time to do it good enough. So I'm not saying that it's right or wrong or anything. I'm just saying what's important is that you see this is the dynamic of the training of the mind, the conditioning, and now you're bringing awareness to it and you're seeing that, you know, I've lived my life in this... uh, striving for perfectionism and it has caused a lot of stress in the mind and it still does and it's reflected in the body and it's not happy making or as I'll tell you a story there's a, a one of the, a friend of mine is uh, he's an artist he's a painter in uh, London and he he's really really good and um 
he's uh, practiced in the Tibetan, I mean, in the Thai forest tradition. And so he was around a couple decades ago when Ajahn Chah, who was a Thai meditation master, came to England to see, to visit the monastery of his monks, Western monks, his Saturday monastery. So my friend decided to paint a picture of Ajahn Chah for this monastery. So he painted a life-size picture of Ajahn Chah, this time uh, time monk, sitting in the forest of Thailand. And they hung this picture in the entryway of the monastery that he was going to visit. So my friend the painter, he wanted to see what Ajahn Chah's reaction was when he saw this painting of himself. So he positioned himself so that he could see Ajahn Chah when he came through the door. So Ajahn Chah comes through the door, sees the picture, life-size, very realistic of him, sitting in the forest, a jungle forest of Thailand, and he says, perfectionists really suffer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he didn't say, that's great, or anything, he just says, wow. Perfectionists really suffer, <laughs> now, and it's it's true, you know. And that's why this morning I was talking about uh, if you use a technique, you know, if you're using a technique to establish a practice like continuity of awareness of the breath, uh, that's a setup. That is just a setup for, you know, frustration and striving and judgment and because, well, let's face it. Can't do it. You know, and so eventually we learn, you know, when we use that kind of technique, we learn not to be a perfectionist, but we learn that, oh, just trying to do that, we don't have to be so perfect perfect about it. The benefit will still come. We will still become more mindful. So I think in, in the in the window washing window washing wars between perfectionism and getting it done this week quantity, um, we have to find a middle path. And the whole teachings of the Buddha is called the middle path. It's finding that place in the middle between striving and being uh, lackadaisical. And, and every, 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 every situation has you know, uh, the ends, the, the extremes of doing or not doing, and there's a place in the middle where we can find some balance. And, and the mind is at ease. So really what we're looking for in this practice is not so much to be perfect so much as to find the way to be uh, less stressed or to be to suffer less. Yeah. So it's a different it's a different uh, it's a different goal orientation in Dharma practice than everything else you do in life. Everything else is like we want to win, we want to succeed, we want to be perfect, we want to get paid the most, we want to whatever. We want more. But in Dharma practice, we want to suffer less. Okay, so that, when that's when that's the um, when that's the goal, then you'll make different decisions. Yeah. But it's common. I mean, a lot of us have this, uh, you know, striving for perfection, for achievement, accomplishment, recognition, pay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so. If it's a habit of mind in your school, in your work, and, and otherwise, then it's bound to arise as 
an option in your dharma practice or your meditation practice too. Yeah. Habits are like that. Okay. I have been noticing today how attached I am to the bell. You're attached to the bell? Yes. Mm-hmm. So not having it and like lack of awareness of time. I don't know what, you know, I haven't really been paying attention to what time it is and like mm-hmm. having no like parameters around time of sessions has, I've just noticed the um, discomfort with that and um, like the, after being sit, after sitting for a while, like that craving, the craving for the, like, okay, now we're completely I, I, I ring the bell just periodically, <laughs> so you feel good. <laughs> but I was kind of laughing at myself yeah. that every time that came up for me, this, ah, oh, the bell, I want the bell. <laughs> well, you can take the bell to your seat, and when you really feel like it should be ringing now, you can just ring it. Other people will really appreciate that, I'm sure. <laughs> Again, I mean, the... the, the um, the benefit of doing what you're doing and observing what you're observing and seeing what you're seeing and saying what you're saying is that, oh, you're noticing <coughs> habits of mind. You're noticing this habit of you know, reliance on time or scheduling and how uncomfortable it is to not have a schedule. It's like, really? Yeah, it is. It's like, we don't know what we're supposed to do next, or how long we've been doing it, or we lose track of time. And it's just a... It's learning something about yourself. This is really important. What's important is that you're learning. It's not It's not comfortable, necessarily, but you are learning, um, you know, how you, how you parcel your day out, you know, and um, how you get a sense of fulfillment or uh, purpose out of filling up the time, right? You know, what if you're wasting time? How, how do you waste time, anyway, really? There's no such thing as wasting time in, in meditation practice. You're either present or not. Present, 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 present. Bummer. <laughs> what, what, it's, what it's revealing is, is habits of mind. You know, and you know how attached we get, as you said, how attached we get to you know, knowing how long we're going to have to do this and how long it's been, and uh, and then also there's this, this this the subtext is like if I follow the schedule exactly, I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. You could be totally totally asleep, but you're following the schedule, just kind of like mindless. But following the schedule, you think you're doing doing well. And this is to kind of take off those external uh, parameters of evaluation and just say. You know, if you're if you're trying to be aware, if you're trying to remember to recognize the present moment, that's good. You know, whether it's for a minute, an hour, a day, it's good. Um, that comment made me was funny. It made me think of a kind of the the distinction between practice and life or non-practice. Um, do you see that as a meaningful distinction or? Um, is practice training so that our mind is then, uh, during non-training formally, um, is then uh, reconditioned or 
Uh, is there sort of no distinction between the two? So the question is about you know formal practice and uh, life outside of formal practice, <coughs> and what's the purpose and how do they relate? I think that you know as as we're hearing, you know when we do this formal practice to pay attention, we learn something about our conditioning, something about our training, something about our way of evaluating uh, ourself, our uh, behaviors, and we see what causes us suffering. We see what causes us suffering. To the extent that we become aware of that and make and learn how to make the adjustments to not, you know, how to feel more comfortable about not being a perfectionist, how to not be so locked into a schedule of time, but how to have a much more a fluid or a dynamic or a variable relationship to those those two factors in life, that would be really useful <laughs> in our life. You know, to not be so schedule bound or time bound or so perfectionist about doing everything that we have to do. So yeah, it's transferable. You know, as we as we learn to recognize our habits of mind, our compulsive, obsessive, kind of addictive ways of doing things, both thinking um, and behaviorally and with substances, with others and speaking. Wow, if we can if we can expose some of our compulsive, obsessive habits that we're quite blind to, you know, and just kind of enslaved by, then that's very freeing, isn't it? And we're no longer we, we may be less likely to be so obsessed and so you know acting so compulsively and feeling so upset if we can't act it out that way. So in some ways we're learning to loosen the grip of our conditioning and uh, then we have more choice. And I mean that's that's the whole purpose is that we can see that we actually have a choice of how to relate to the clock. How to relate to this job that I got to get done, you know, in a certain amount of time or whatever, and and everything else. And so, in some ways, uh, exposing our habits of mind, um, while it's difficult to see them and it's difficult to let go of them, um, and to the extent that we do, we suffer less, both here on retreat or informal practice, but also um, as those understandings transfer to the other activities of our life outside of retreat, outside of formal practice. Um, as, as part of a loving kindness practice, over the last year or so, I've incorporated the reading of obituaries and um, Kind of like Tomlin, you know, the, uh, like projecting to the pictures and the folks and their stories and stuff. You know. But uh, I did that mainly as a result of moving into my 60s. And as my mortality becomes more and more obvious and Unfortunately, I guess more and more imminent, I find it difficult to reconcile the repeated instructions from many, many different instructors that say, take it easy, 
Don't worry about it. Don't strive. Don't grasp. Don't seek. Just let it happen. Um, that's quite a different story when you're in your 20s and 30s to hear than it is in your mid to later 60s. Um, do you have anything to say about that? So, um, as we age, um, with the view of our imminent uh, mortality, uh, or let's just say the far horizon is getting closer quicker, um, and you, I, I didn't quite understand if, if the instructions to relax, take it easy, kind of like settle in, just let things happen, whether that was like, no, I don't want to, I want to get and have and do and become and strive more, or you're quite, quite, quite happy to let it all go. Well, it makes sense. It's logical, I mean, in a, in a Dharma way, it's, it's logical to not grasp, to not see, to not try and make something happen like chasing the jhanas or something. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, the clock keeps ticking. Yeah. How much time? <coughs> yeah. I mean, do you just take what you get and that's it? Well, uh, you know, the question is, do you just take what you get and, that, and that's it, life runs out? Yeah. Uh, no. I would say, don't take what you get, just let it all go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let it all go. You know, things are going to happen to you. You know, life is going to happen. Um, we, we have pursued, you know, let's face it, we have pursued goals, ambitions, accomplishment, achievements, things, people, experiences secular and spiritual, we have pursued, striven for, grasped, consumed, and we're still not satisfied. Do you think we should do more of that in the remaining time that's left? Or can we learn something about, wait a minute, seeking, striving, gripping, grasping, consuming, having, getting, becoming, for what? What is it that... Uh, I mean, we've gotten so much of what we wanted. We wanted an education, we got that. We wanted a, a career, we got that. We wanted a, whatever your domestic situation is, family, dynamic, partners, kids or not, whatever. You got that. You got a new car, you got a place to live. You got, you got good enough health to come on a retreat. You got the discretionary income to pay for it. You got the time. It's like, hello... But what about the peace and understanding? Yeah. Is that going to come from striving, grasping, grasping, seeking, attachment, and, and trying to get more? That's going to bring you peace and understanding? Think about that. Thank you. Yeah. This is a corollary to that. I, I, if I'm remembering right, the word is Sanvega. Sanvega. So the question is, you know, this sense of urgency, time is running out, uh, what have I got to do, what's left to be done in life, and this, this, the place of Samvega. Samvega is called spiritual urgency. It's this, it's this uh, realization, it, it's something of a realization that there's, um, there's something to be done in life, which is uh, 
sometimes elusive, don't really even know what it is, and time only runs out, so like, I gotta get on with it. And we do want to, you know, use our time wisely, you know, and especially if we, if, if you've been exposed to, as you all are exposed to Dharma practice, and you, you have a general understanding that, you know, awareness and letting go of what you're holding on to and grasping is the direction to go, then, yeah, by all means, we want to work towards that. But it's not from hurrying. It's not from rushing. It's not from getting and having and doing and becoming more. It's actually just the opposite. It's from, you know, stepping back, letting go, uh, but doing it with an urgency, a continuity that just recognizes, you know what, there's never any more time than right now. (laughs) There's less time now. And there's even less time now. And so, to use your time wisely and to really, you know, ask yourself, okay, you know, when I when I turned 66 a few years ago, I said, you know, I was doing a self-retreat and I just said, you know, I think I've done it. I mean, I, I think I've done everything in life I need to do. You know, I've done this, you know, the career thing and this and family and blah, 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 blah. It's like, what's, what, what's left? What's left to do? What what should I be doing in the remaining? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's a few years. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a decade or two. I don't know. Don't know. But whatever time is left, what what is to be done? And to me, it was just you know, uh, I, I would ref, I reflected on what has been uh, what have I seen has been most valuable to me in my life, and uh, in in so many words and. In, Shorthand, it's, it's Dharma practice, commitment to Dharma, trying to understand my own mind, letting go of what no longer serves my highest aspiration, and that seemed like the best thing to do with my time, my remaining time, whether it's a week or a decade or more. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's not like to hurry up and do something. You know, I don't have a bucket list, you know, of things I gotta get done before. It's more like, instead of having a to-do list, I've got a not-to-do list. <laughs> I no longer need to do that. I no longer need to do that. Let that go. Let that go. So just get down to, oh, just being aware and, you know, understanding my own heart and uh, being as present as I can moment to moment. So that urgency, even though we call it spiritual urgency, it's not a thing about rushing or running out of time. It's about prioritizing. What is it that's really of value? What is it that's going to serve your um, highest aspiration? You know, and, and our aspiration when we're 25 is very different than it is when you're 65. Oh, let's let's acknowledge that. You know, let's let go of those things that we did or that we found value in in our early adult years and that no longer serve our purpose. You know, we've, we've grown in Dharma understanding and we've, we're just in a different place in life and we need to kind of uh, review on a regular basis what's, what's, my, what's my aspiration, what's my purpose, where am I going, and how to do that. Yeah. So I think ur- this urgency is a little bit of a misnomer. Um, I think it's, it's not about time and hurrying, it's more about prioritizing. What it is of value to you. 
don't know if this is a good question for now or for the group. Um, I work with electronic devices, and I've really tried to find over the years a connection of being able to work and remain mindful without getting sucked into kind of the mindset that tends to happen when engaged with them. Um, do you have any input on that? So the question is about how to, you know, how to use and not be used by electronic devices. Because, let's face it, you know, they really are convenience in our, in our emerging lifestyle, 21st century here in the West. And uh, they become the, the kind of the center of our lifestyle in some ways. But, you know, it's all by choice. You know, and again, it's a, uh, I think it takes awareness to prioritize uh, how much we use and what we use them for and how much we use them. Uh, that's not to say that it's easy, but just to know that it is a choice. It's a choice that we make. And, you know, we sign up, we get those apps, we sign up to get these emails, we sign up to be on these mailing lists and whatever it is, news feeds and other things. It's like, hmm, okay, if this is not the way I want to live, if this is not, if this is uh, demanding, commanding more of my time or more of my energy than I really want to devote to it, well, then we have a, we have a choice to make. You know, something that, that is it's within our um, I want to say it's within our control I should say it's more like within our training we can train ourselves to do with less news feed for example or to be more mindful of using um, and what we use it for and the energy of using it you know phones and computers and whatnot. when I was one of the last times I was practicing in Burma with Sagrutajaniya, he had an hour a day. I think it was like 8.30 in the morning, 8.30, 9.30. Anybody that had to do their, you know, had to get online for something or anything could come to his room, you know, his interview room, and he had an hour where he had access to Wi-Fi. And it was a, it was a training, because he was sitting in the chair using his, you know, and, and, and periodically would just, you know, offer reminders of, being aware while there's pinging and dinging and you're doing and sending, you know, sending and receiving. And it's like, okay, you know, it's a fact. I mean, we, you know, let's not, let's not say using electronics is outside of the realm of awareness. Let's take awareness to the front lines and, you know, it's not an either-or situation. It's like bringing your awareness to what you do. So... It's helpful, but it does take, you know, like any habit, uh, you know, it can become mindless, and they're very compelling. You know, the the demands of news feeds and pings, dings, and bells and whistles really—it's like they're more powerful than our own intention, unless you really train yourself. Um, kind of similar to that observation, I, I notice uh, when I eat at home, typically, uh, a lot of times I'll eat while looking at my device, 
And um, even when I'm not doing that, I eat quickly and um, an observation I had this morning at breakfast where uh, I was really appreciating the food and taking the time and just kind of feeling mm -hmm. what it is for it to come into my being. Mm -hmm. And I really had a realization of um, how often I'm visited by restlessness and how that, I think, manifests into the state where I'm just not... I'm distracted. I'm distracting myself with the device while I eat. Um, and then also, even if I'm not doing it with the device, I'm just kind of Shall eating, we? just get, getting it down so that I can move on with the day. Yeah, I, I, I sympathize with you, you know. Uh, we eat thoughts more than we taste food. Yeah. When we're eating, we're mostly just lost in our thoughts. Whether it's from the from the phone or just our own internal chatter. It takes training to actually be present with you know what you're doing. You know, and the body the body doesn't lie. Meaning, uh, if you're staying present with the body. You know, your antibody experience so that you know that you're eating when you're eating, you're chewing when you're chewing, you're swallowing when you're swallowing, you're moving when you're moving. And, you know, when you know that, this is a real, a really grounding and uh, stabilizing of the mind. You know, you can still do things fast, but it's the distraction part. It's the, I don't want to say it's just multitasking, but it's the not paying attention. And doing a lot of things that is dissipating <clears throat> dissipates the mind. We lose our mind, frankly. We lose we lose track of our mind, you know, in our devices and in our busyness and our uh, hurry. And so the the, the challenge and the, and the reason it works so well on retreat is well, there's only one thing to do here that is to remember to recognize the present moment, and uh, we, there's no other uh, you know big distractions, there's no other news coming in, there's no other activities to engage in, there's nobody to talk to, and even then, it's really hard to actually be present with what you're doing, eating, eating a meal. You know, I encourage, I encourage all of you, take one meal a day, even a part of a meal, just to really be present with seeing, smelling, hearing, lifting, opening, Placing, closing, removing, lowering, chewing, 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 swallowing. Wait a minute, did I let go of my spoon yet? Wait a minute, I forgot. Let go of Okay, chewing, chewing, you know, I mean, it gets like that. So just to take, take a period of time each day to really slow it all down, meaning you're actually paying attention to the the uh, sequence of physical, mental events involved in just eating an apple or eating a banana or just a little thing because it really reveals just how much is how much we miss how much we miss in our general I'm aware, yeah, yeah no we're not, I'm not very aware good and we have the, we have the time here we have the time, you know, we have the opportunity nobody's hurrying you to Unless you got to do the dishes or something, just take the time. Yeah. 
It's hard. It's hard because we have habits. We have habits of hurrying and we're trained and we're conditioned to be in a hurry to accomplish a lot, do a lot. And so that's our that's our parameter of evaluation. And here, the, the, the parameter of evaluation is are you aware? Are you aware? Are you aware? That's it. And even then, it's hard. It's hard to do. Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned earlier that you had, um, had grandkids, so I assume that you had kids. I have small children myself, and I grew up Catholic and had a very, it was a very long ability to basically learn, you know, the religious teachings of Catholicism very early on, you know. Whereas in this teaching, I feel like I barely have a grasp on this myself. You know, it makes a tremendous, you know, difference around life. But it is something I like to share with, you know, my family and my, my children especially, you know. I was just wondering how you approach that in, in your own life. You know, because I don't feel there's really any, I don't know where to start. You know, I'm still with my own, my own practice, you know, learning this process, you know. I don't feel really in a position to teach others or instruct, you know, minds that are very rude the world. In some ways, you know, when you talk about taking things away, it almost seems as if <coughs> there is, in that teaching, almost adding a way that doesn't belong. Does that make sense? You know, I, I, yes, I hear what you think of your question. Uh, I have been a grandparent, but not a parent. It happens that way sometimes. But anyway, uh, um, I think, I mean, the question comes up often, How do, now that I'm learning this about myself, and I see what I'm doing with my kids, or did with my kids, or like, with my grandkids, and it's like, how do I, how do we, how do we bring awareness, this kind of awareness, or this recognition to others, or the, that we share the household with, or our kids, or whatever, you know, uh, you just have to do it. You do your own work, and you know we learn from each other. Um, maybe more than we learn from books in that in that way. So the more aware, sensitive, uh, and able to acknowledge what's going on with you or others in your orbit, um, then that's how that's how you share. That's how you you share the value of awareness in your life with others. And, you know, they can learn. If they're curious, if they're interested, they can learn. Um, I don't have any, you know, quick one-liners or there's no, you know, easy way to say how you can help children be more aware. Uh, there's, there's, there's more skillful people teaching that than me. So there's a lot available. There's a lot available. You know, to help. Uh, yeah. Questions, comments, practice, life. Well, can I just say I have some resources for working with kids? Say it again. I have some resources about working with kids and meditation. I'm happy to. Down at the end, at the end, end of the end retreat, retreat, we'll yeah. put out some resource material. Can I make a comment? Um, I think one of the important things about parenting that's 
comes out of practice is recognizing where your own conditioning comes from and the impact it has on your habits of mind, um, both positive and negative. And to the extent that your, your own behavior becomes more gentle and compassionate and Loving-kindness-infused and equanimity, all the Brahmaviharas and all the Paramis, basically, that's the conditioning that your kids will get and your family and the people around you. And that's how they pick up on it, I think. Yeah, yeah I think that's true that to the extent that we develop our own awareness of our conditioning, then we can be much more sensitive and careful about how we condition, how our behavior in thinking, conditions others around us, especially kids. Could you remember this is day one retreat. For some of you it's your first retreat. For others of you it's your you know, you've been practicing for some time. It takes um, it takes continuity of intention and continuity of effort to develop a momentum of just remembering to recognize and being willing to recognize. And so, really, what we're doing is we're working with the uh, just remembering, remembering, and as often as you can, just prompt yourself to remind yourself, just recognize what's going on. What am I feeling? What am I feeling physically in the body? What am I feeling in the heart? What is the quality of the mind? What is the, uh, what's the flavor of the cognitive activity of the mind? Is it, you know, whinging, whining, complaining, figuring out, explaining, rehearsing, you know, whatever, just what is it? The more you can just remember to just recognize what, what's going on physically, it feels like this, what's going on mentally, it feels like that, or you see the activity. The more you recognize, then um, the less you're entangled in it. You know, it still happens, but rather than being blindly entangled and acting out habitually, we bring some awareness, and that's where we have the choice to either follow and act out what is unskillful, or we can uh, respond with more awareness to conditions of life rather than just get caught in a reactive deeply conditioned habitual way. That's where the that's where the freedom comes, that's where the liberation comes, that's where the disentanglement comes. As we see when we're hooked, we see how we get hooked, and we're not acting it out quite as impulsively, compressed, uh, obsessively or addictively or and we just go, Wow, wait a minute, let me just settle back, let that go, check in again with what's going on in the body. And just that, just that much, noticing it, you know, noticing that you're leaning forward, you're holding on, and you just let go. It's training, and we're learning to recognize and let go, recognize and let go. And most of what, you know, our stress, stressing conditions in life are habits. You know, we have habits of worry, habits of expectation, habits of impatience, habits of, um, you know, ways that we've learned to deal with the stresses of life. 
that are now seem to be dysfunctional. So we learn to let go. And every time we every time we recognize that we're you know gripped gripped by something, entangled with something, every time we see that and let go, we weaken that habit. Just like ah, oh, okay. Now remember that you you've practiced that habit a hundred thousand times, so it's going to take a few times of seeing it and letting go, seeing it and letting go before we weaken it to where we're not kind of caught entangled in it. But it'll come. It'll come. Um, I'm kind of a little confused about that. Is that if we're observing something, is letting go doing something with it? If we're observing something, is letting go doing something? Doing something with it. There are many ways to let go. First of all, let me just say that when we find, for example, that you're, you know, you're off on a train of thought, you know, you don't know when you get on the train, you don't know where it's going, you don't know anything, except you notice now I'm, oh, I'm trying to solve a problem that, you know, the mind is caught up in something. When you notice it, what happens? Often, immediately, it's just like, oh, clunk. We, we just let go. It's not like we even intend to. It's like we didn't intend to pick it up, or we didn't recognize the intention to pick it up and think that thought, or think that in that way. But once we recognize awareness of it, it's like, oh, we, can't, we don't sustain that activity. We let it go. And it's not like we choose to let it go. It's just having recognized that we're holding on releases it. Sometimes we do intentionally just say, you know, we get, for example, we get wound up in some memory, some painful memory, and we're we're on a rant, you know, of our, you know, I'm so hurt and I'm so angry and you're so stupid and whatever it is, you know, and we see that this is going on. There's there's two things you can do. One is you can recognize, oh, this is this is overwhelming. Meaning, I can't I can't be aware of this. You know, it's so inflamed within me. Then, then maybe you turn your attention away from it. You know, turn your attention to loving kindness, or turn your attention to present moment sense experience, seeing, hearing, feeling. You're still being mindful, but you're choosing to withdraw your energy from that which is overwhelming. On the other hand, you could say, "This is this is anger. This is you know, fear and anger or whatever it is." And, and you can choose to observe it. You know, if you've got that strength of mind that just says, wow, this is, this is the nature of anger. This is what it feels like in the body. This is what it does to the mind. This is, you know, how it feels in the heart. Or any other mental state. And you can actually learn how to be aware of those, uh, those tormented states of mind emotional states of mind, for example, or mental states, and not being entangled in them. They're there, they're happening, but you're not entangled in it. You're aware of it. And there's a huge difference between uh, being afraid, thinking about your fear fear and what you're afraid of and why, and being aware of fear as an experience. There's those three very, very different uh, experiences, but they all rely on, they all 
only happen when fear is present. Fear has arisen in the heart, in the mind, and now what are you going to do with it? You either indulge in it, like I'm afraid, or you explain it, you get caught up in the narrative, and you know you explain it, you figure it out, you, you justify it somehow, or you're aware of it. You can be aware of, oh, this is the nature of fear. Okay, let me just kind of, let me just be with this. You know, opening to the feeling of fear in the heart and seeing the stories, all the stories that go go through your mind when you're afraid, and you just see that. And in this way, you can learn about the nature of these um, tormenting states of mind. And eventually, this we will have to do that with all of our uh, tormented states of mind, whether it's fear, depression, anxiety, jealousy, you know. But it takes takes some steadiness of awareness and some willingness, some understanding and willingness that, oh, this is this is the journey. How to awaken to this dysfunctional relationship that we have with fearful things, depressing things, boring, whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's the journey. That's, you know, I mean if you if you can get into the if you can if you can get into the to the to the motivation of like, why are we doing this? We're doing this to learn about ourselves. Oh, to learn about the nature of this human life. Then it's like, hey, it doesn't matter what's happening. It can be pleasant or unpleasant. It can be, you know, subtle. It can be gross. It can be disgusting. It can be exalted. It's like, wow, check this out. Check this out. Look at this. What can I learn about this? With that kind of energy then... Uh, there's a lot of courage, there's a lot of uh, interest and a lot of um, willingness to really learn, observe and learn to understand. Not fear of pain, fear of shame, fear of, you know, being different or something. One more, if there's any remaining questions, comments? Well, thank you for your questions. Sometimes, just to clarify, some of these things can help uh, reframe your understanding of how to practice and what the practice is all about, and kind of some of the, some of the issues that have come up are dealing more with events outside of the retreat setting, but just to kind of help, help you understand how the, what we do here is of value in the rest of life, the other activities of life. It tra- transfers very, um, I, don't, I won't say simply, but it, it is transferable to the uh, general domestic, civic, social, professional activities of life, not just being a silent retreat. Um, in regards to kind of the narrowing of concentration to an object of meditation, um, as that bandwidth gets smaller, um, I find that I'm there. You know, I'm thinking about like what we were saying about reading earlier. That there's kind of it almost feels like an indulgence to have that concentration be there. And then it feels like the question of, am I aware right now, almost seems to conflict. 
Like I'm almost like I'm just subscribing to that particular strategy and then asking if I'm aware even though I think that strategy is a practice of trying to be aware the question am I like how am I aware right now seems to kind of broaden and I'm wondering if you could it if that makes any sense and yeah okay. yeah the, the, the question is you know when you do object oriented practice and you're really narrowing the range of attention to a single object like the breath or the, how it's experienced at the nostrils for example and when you're doing that with some continuity and the mind is getting very collected and powerfully right there with just that or more continuity on that then to ask the question am I, am I aware seems to kind of like, whoa you kind of step back uh, and, and recognize, oh, the awareness, rather than staying on that object. Hmm? Um, and what's, how's that all working? You know, in the moment of that continuity of attention to the chosen object, let's say the breath, where you really focused with continuity on it, we mistake the clarity and the continuity of the object for the goal. When the goal is really the continuity of awareness. Because, yes, we can, we can train with an object like that. And we do get some continuity of awareness. But we don't recognize the awareness. So, gradually though, in time, if you use that object-oriented, then the, the awareness becomes powerful so that when you slip off of that object, whatever object comes into view, you'll be aware of that. But you're still aware of objects. So what I'm pointing to is the awareness piece. And it's the awareness of the continuity, it's the continuity of the awareness that is going to be revealing and liberating. It's not the continuity of the object. So whatever object you use, whether you use a single object or multiple objects, really doesn't matter. It's the recognition of the continuity of the awareness that's going to allow you to see the full range of human experience, physical, mental, emotional, otherwise, uh, and to have a relationship with them rather than a reactive, conditioned response or reaction to them. So they're, 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 both, they're both useful, skillful uh, ways of practicing. They just aim slightly different uh, direction, but they're both useful. Okay, thank you for your questions, and give some time now for practice before our evening meal. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.